<clears throat> we, uh, we want to continue with our study. We began it last, last Sunday evening, a uh, short series of, of studies that I've entitled, Your Faith Depends on You. And as we tried to point out, a whole lot of people, they want faith, they want stronger faith, but at the same time, they have a difficult time understanding they've got to put themselves into developing that faith because faith doesn't just happen. It's a result of our understanding God's word, learning it to the point that, that faith begins to develop within us. Uh, again, we keep saying, you know, keep emphasizing, we'll come to that in a few moments, Romans 10 and verse 17, faith comes by hearing the word of God. And so it's not magical, it's not mystical. Some people think God just bestows faith upon them, but that's not how it works. He encourages us to have faith. He encourages us in our faith, but we have to put ourselves to the process of developing faith within our within our own minds and our own hearts. So your faith depends on you. You have to focus. You have to put yourself into focus of developing your faith. We pointed out, let's see. Oh, didn't have it on. Okay, there it goes. We pointed out that faith needs to be important to us. Now, I'm, I'm afraid that a whole lot of people, they don't, they don't think about their faith much. If you ask them, do you have faith in God? They would probably say, oh yeah, I've got faith in God. But up until that point in their, in, 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 up to that moment in their life, they probably haven't thought about faith much for them personally. They, they you know, all, going all about their life in whatever direction that, you know, they're, the wind is carrying them or whatever their focus is in life, but it's not on, really not on God, not on being faithful to God. But, they, but if you ask them, do you have faith? And they'd say, oh yeah, I've got, I've got faith. I've got, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. Well, faith, saving faith, productive faith is a whole lot more than just believing. It is faith that is put into action through obedience and dedication and commitment and service. We read also about how without faith, we cannot be saved. Faith is absolutely essential to our salvation. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse six, the Hebrews writer said, without faith, it is impossible to please him, speaking of God. For he who would come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Jesus also said about faith in himself as God's son and our Lord and savior. In John eight and verse 24, he said, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And then maybe the most definitive, or at least as, as direct a statement about faith being essential for our salvation and without faith, we're condemned in our sins. Jesus said that just then, referring to himself as the son of God. But in Mark chapter 16 and verse 16, Jesus told the apostles to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, to all creation, to all mankind. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. So without faith, Hebrews 11 and six, in God, we're lost in our sins. 
Without faith in Jesus as our Savior, we're lost in our sins. And as the gospel message of salvation is proclaimed or taught or read by us or by any individual and not acted upon in obedience, does not believe, we're condemned. He who does not believe will be condemned. So faith is extremely important, extremely important. We talked about in Hebrews chapter 11, and we read verses 1 through 3, and I'm going to read that just quickly and, and make the, the brief comments that I tried to bring out in more detail, uh, perhaps last time. But Hebrews 11 and verses 1 through 3, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so faith is based upon evidence and substance. It's not a wild wish. It's not just an imagination. It's the result of the evidence that we have presented to us in God's word, but also in his creation all around us in our very physical bodies, the, the extreme complexity of how God put us together and how everything works together. For by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith, we understand the, that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so, it is the, so, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. And so when you just do kind of a brief, quick analysis of those three verses of Scripture, talking about faith and what it is, faith is our crystal ball. Our crystal ball assuring us of our salvation and eternal life in heaven. Faith is also our telescope, enabling us to see what cannot be seen with the naked eye. And that includes God and Christ and the Holy Spirit because they're spiritual beings and, and we're still living in this physical realm and this physical body. And faith is also our looking glass into the past, helping us to understand the origin of the universe and of this world and of life in general, our spiritual nature and our relationship with God. And so we ask the question again, personal question. How is your faith? How is my faith? It's vitally important for us to realize, and that's, again, the basic premise of this study, your faith depends on you. Now, some people might blame other people for their weak faith. They might look at somebody who calls themselves a Christian and they say, if that's Christianity, then I don't need any of that because that person is the biggest hypocrite I've ever seen. I've, I've, for decades, I've, I've, I've reasoned in response to that particular kind of statement, you mean there are fewer hypocrites out in the world? Now, are there hypocrites within the Lord's church? Sure, we're human beings. But you think you're going to get rid of hypocrisy by leaving the church and going into the world or just staying away from God altogether and just being out there in the world? Uh, that's, that's, you know, a false premise, a false assertion, ultimately doomed to failure. So faith is up to you individually, up to me individually. My personal faith depends on me. Your personal faith depends on you. Now, I want us to look at Romans chapter 10, and I want us to look at a, a, an immediate context of Scripture there. The initial development and growth of your faith depends upon your studying 
upon your believing and upon your correctly applying God's word to your life. So Romans chapter 10, beginning with verse 13, and that's what this particular text of scripture, this immediate context is trying to get across. The apostle Paul wrote, whoever calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. And he goes through a logical progression here, step by step. Then he says, how then shall they call in him of whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher or a teacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? And then the conclusion. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Or more succinctly put, faith comes by hearing the word of God. Faith doesn't just happen to somebody without some kind of without some kind of happening to understand, to learn, without some kind of learning experience before that person says, you know, I do have faith. I do believe. They have to go through some process, some degree of learning before that faith develops within them because of that last statement in that text of scripture. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. Now, if you go back to the beginning, and this, this is a quote from Acts chapter 2 also, where the apostle Peter stated, whoever calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. But here the apostle Paul, again, breaks it down in a progressive logical format. How shall somebody call in the name of the Lord if they don't believe in the Lord, if they have not come to believe in Christ? And how shall they believe in him if they have not heard of him? Now, this might seem a little strange for us in our culture today in this particular country, but in the days that this was written, most people in the world worshiped idols. They did not worship God. That's, again, that's difficult for us to really kind of wrap my, our minds around fully, but that was the reality of the day. Most people did not believe in God. Most of those probably did not even know about God. They worshiped idols, statues, images, carvings, and such. And so they had to be taught about God. When you look at Acts chapter 17, there's quite a lengthy treatise there where Paul is preaching to the intellectuals of Greece at Athens on what is called variously, according to your interpretation, or rather your translations, the Mars Hill or the Areopagus, referring to the same place exactly. So the intellectuals of the culture would come together from time to time and gather at that particular place, and they talk about all kinds of new things they had heard about, or they had read about, or they had come up with in their own mind. And Paul simply, he took the opportunity to talk to them about a particular God whom they referred to on one particular altar. And it was said that the city of Athens had all kinds, a whole string of altars to all kinds of idols that they had come to become aware of and they wanted to cover all their bases. And just in case they missed one, they had one altar 
I guess it was empty, just barren, but it was, it was addressed or identified to the unknown God. And Paul said, that's the one I want to talk to you about. The one you don't know about. And he began to preach to them. And some said, you know, come back again and teach us some more. Most of them probably just rejected his words pretty much altogether because it was so foreign to what they were accustomed to believing in. But he began teaching them about the unknown God. Now imagine people out there today who do not believe in God. They're either atheists or skeptics or agnostics, and really those are different terms that really identify pretty much the same people. People who basically don't believe in God. I've studied with a number of those, and most of those ended up, and there's no glory to me, but when you would present to them the logical evidence from God's word and talk to them about what that really means, they, they came to believe and they became, became Christians. But there are whole, that's, that's just a few people, though, out there who would be identified by one of those particular terms or identities. Don't believe in God. So imagine sitting down or maybe Paul being there gathered before a small multitude of men who, call, who, who, who thought themselves as being intellectuals of the day, and he's trying to talk to them about a God they did not know about, the only true God. And so they, they needed to get that understanding in their heads. So how can they believe in him or how can they call upon him of, of whom they do not believe? How can they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without somebody teaching them about God the Father, the Creator, and God the Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then ultimately, the bottom conclusion again. Where did they develop that faith? Well, again, they need to call in the name of the Lord to be saved. How can they do that if they've never heard of him? How can they do that if they have never believed in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard of him? If nobody has ever taught them. And so faith comes by hearing the word of God. We have to get into God's Word, and we need to be in God's Word on a consistent basis as well. So the initial development of your faith depends upon your studying and believing and correctly applying to your life God's Word. That's going to be how your faith is, is based and developed. It's fundamental to that development. Now, the Scriptures tell us that he who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 13 in that text. In Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, when Saul of Tarsus, who had been an enemy of the Lord's church and an enemy and blasphemer of Jesus Christ himself, thinking that he was doing God's will by hunting down Christians, putting them in bonds, taking them into custody, putting them on trial, and then in some occasions, actually voting for their execution if he could not intimidate them into blaspheming the name of Christ themselves, he comes, he, he's, he's there in Damascus blind. He has been confronted by the Lord through a great light. He, he knocks him off of his animal that he's riding. He gets up from the ground. He can't see. 
Those he was with lead him into the city because he had had a conversation, a short conversation with the Lord. And the Lord said, go into the city, you will be told what you must do. He goes in, he's fasting and praying for three days. And then the Lord sends a Christian man, Ananias, to teach him the gospel. And ultimately Ananias says to him, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now, some people think that calling on the name of the Lord is to be taken literally. You just, I, I guess you just, Lord, save me. They make a verbal statement, a calling like that. But here we understand that calling in the name of the Lord is an act of obedience, an act of obedience. We're calling on the name of the Lord to save us, to forgive us of our sins as we obey him through, the, through surrendering ourselves to him in baptism for the remission of our sins. On Pentecost, only those who heard and obeyed were saved. In Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 40, with many other words, he, that is Peter, testified and exhorted them. He's preaching to the crowd there saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. They responded to the teaching of Jesus Christ in obedience by being baptized for the remission of their sins. And in that way, they were calling upon the Lord for their salvation through their obedience. Earlier in that chapter, Peter had said, he who calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. And now he tells them how to do that basically in their act of obedience, surrender to their Lord. Through studying on your own or being taught, or being taught, we have to come to the understanding of that's how my faith develops. So, Verse 14, how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear about him without a preacher or a teacher, somebody to help them or some means to help them come to understand and believe in Jesus? 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15, study, the King James Version translates, other translations, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, meaning is exactly the same. A worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing or handling correctly the word of truth. And the word of truth is God's word, John 17 and verse 17. Jesus identifies it as such. So if there's no preacher, there's no teacher, there's no other Christian around to teach a person about God and about Christ, about salvation through Jesus as our Savior, then prayerfully, hopefully, they have a copy of the Bible, at least enough of it to teach them. So somebody either has to study on their own, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15. I had a lady one time come up to me and uh, I was preaching early in my full-time preaching career. She came up and and at the end, as the invitation was extended at the end of the, of the sermon, and she said, I'm ready to be baptized. I'd never laid eyes on her before. But her mother-in-law had been teaching her long distance for some time. 
And she had come to believe and she had come to be to the point that she was ready to obey the gospel and be baptized into Christ for the remission of her sins. So the other possibility, if somebody does not read it for themselves through God's word, then they need to be taught. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21, the apostle Paul said, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom and that's through the world's own wisdom, did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached or taught to save those who believe. So either through studying on your own or by being taught by somebody who knows the gospel, you must come to understand the saving message of the gospel of Christ. And Paul put it very directly in Romans 1 and verse 16, that it is that gospel message that holds the direction, the power, the understanding, and the call for obedience to God's plan for our forgiveness, redemption, salvation, eternal life. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, Paul said, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Or in other words, from the mindset of that day, for all people, everywhere, of all time, God has given us the gospel message in his word and that guides us to salvation. So I either need to study on my own, sufficient that I can come to understand and believe and faith can develop in me that way, or I need to be taught God's word by somebody so that I can come to understand it and believe and faith can develop in me through that means. Or I I simply need to come to recognize in whatever way that I can that God has given me a message of salvation, a message of salvation called the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that message bears the power of God to my salvation to my eternal life, to my forgiveness, to my redemption through my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now we come back to Romans chapter 10. We look at verse 16. They have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? And that's a quote from the Old Testament. And, but here, we, we, and this is not the only place in the New Testament where it refers to actually obeying the gospel. Now, Having learned, you must obey the gospel. First Peter chapter one and verse 22, Peter says, since you have, and he's writing this to Christians, so he's speaking in the past tense, he says, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. It's not enough just to believe in Jesus, just to believe in God, That's not enough. We must believe enough to put our newfound faith into action through obedience. To make that determination and that, that commitment of dedication through obedience to them, having learned the gospel message of salvation. Hebrews chapter five, verses eight and nine, the Hebrews writer puts it in a very personal way as applied to Jesus himself when he was upon this earth in physical form. He said, though he was a son, the son of God, yet he learned obedience. 
He went through that process in his physical growing up years before he began his ministry upon this earth. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience. Now, if Jesus had to go through that process, that discipline of learning obedience to God's will as he was growing up and into manhood in physical form while still fully divine, then that's an example for us that we need to obey. So though he was a son, yet he learned obedience through the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author or source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. He gave us the example, and we need to follow that example, and we need to understand the importance of obeying the gospel. Now, we look at a, just a short, real concentrated view of the final day of judgment in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 8. Now verse 7 says that, that that's going to be a day when Jesus comes with his mighty angels. Verse 8 says in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God. But that's not just for the atheists. That not, that's not just for the idol worshipers, for those who have never heard of God or who have heard of him, but they don't believe in him. But he says, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Having learned, I must come to the point where I am ready to obey the gospel message because that message bears God's power to my salvation. We come back to the last verse again in that text we're looking at. Romans 10, verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God's word is what leads me to faith. Now, mama and daddy can teach me God's word and I can develop faith in God based upon their teaching and their example and probably a number of us, including myself, experienced that as we were young children and growing up. And mom and daddy taught us. They took us to church services, took us to Bible classes. They, they would correct us when we would do something that we shouldn't have done. They'll remind us of what God's will is for our lives. And they helped instill faith in us. They taught us. I need, I need to understand, though, that what they taught me was based upon God's word. And I understood that from a very early time in my life as a very young boy. They weren't just teaching me mama and daddy's word and mama and daddy's will. They were teaching me God's word. They were teaching me God's will. Living faithfully then unto eternal life in heaven depends upon you. So somebody else can teach me, but I have to put myself into a relationship with them or a response to their teaching that, that I believe. And that belief needs to not just be intellectual agreement, but it needs to be a belief that leads me to obedience, obedience of the gospel. And then having become a Christian based upon my initial faith in Jesus and in God, then I need to live faithfully for the rest of my life before them. Dedication again and commitment. 
Revelation 2 and verse 10, Jesus said, be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. So that's my responsibility as well. I must first learn so that I can have faith develop within me and then I must put that faith into action through initial obedience and a daily lifestyle for the rest of my life. It's vital that you understand the fundamental importance of being a diligent, consistent student of God's word. Absolutely vital. There, there, there's nothing that substitutes for learning God's word. Someone might say, well, what about a person who can't read or doesn't have a Bible? Let me give you a personal answer. My father could not read. I've never met a more dedicated Christian man in my life. He raised me to be a dedicated Christian boy growing up and then young man and then adult. He could not read. He could write his name, and that was about it. And he also not only became a dedicated Christian, but he helped other Christians to be strong in their faith. That's a personal answer. Now, how did he learn? Mom taught him, partly, but he also listened to the gospel being preached. Again, Roman, uh, 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 21. He listened to the Bible being read to him as preachers were preaching. And I still remember mom reading with him in our living room one, one evening. Now, he learned, and he learned enough to understand that is the truth of God's word. We repeatedly emphasize the follow-up text to 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15 with 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. But now, the principles that this text, this follow-up text, lays out will be effective only through your personal study of God's word. Because once you become a Christian, it's not fin you're not finished studying God's word. You're not finished finish developing and growing in your faith. You're coming out of the starting block, so to speak. And you've got a lifetime ahead of you, however long that might be, to continue to learn and grow in the faith of God and of Christ. 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17, Paul reminded Timothy. Timothy was a Christian. Timothy was already preaching the gospel. He was working with the apostle Paul. He reminded him from childhood, you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And then he said, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is God's very word and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped, completely furnished for every good work. So God's word leads me to salvation by the development of my faith in God and in Christ, teaching me what I need to do in response to that faith that wells up within me. And then it teaches me how to live the Christian life faithfully, obediently. It corrects me at times when I'm making mistakes, but it guides me in the truth of God's will for my life. And 
it equips me completely for the good works that God wants me to do in service to him, in service to him. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. Peter wrote, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another with fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. James 1 and verse 18 uh, I'm sorry, John chapter 3, verses 3 and 5. First, Jesus said that we must be born again. He told Nicodemus that when Nicodemus came to him to talk to him and, and, and evidenced some degree at least of budding faith if it wasn't full-blown faith yet in Jesus. And so Jesus said, most assuredly, I tell you, unless, a, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And so Nicodemus was confused. He was thinking physical rebirth, and he asked Jesus, how can that happen? A man who is old, who has grown up, how can he reenter his mother's womb? Jesus was speaking on the spiritual plane. And so he, he, he responded, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so water and the spirit, as we've studied earlier in this text, he's talking about being baptized in the waters of baptism for the remission of your sins. And how do we come to understand that we need to do that? Through the word of God, which was given to the writers and guided, and, and they were guided to write it as God's inspired word by the Holy Spirit, guiding them to make sure they got it correct. Well, God's word teaches you about new life in Christ. James 1 and verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth, and that's a birthing kind of statement there, by the word of truth. What did Jesus tell Nicodemus? Got to be born again. He brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be kind of first fruits of his creatures. And then verse 25, he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, consistent, dedicated, committed, obedient, Remember what Jesus said, be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. He who looks into the perfect law of liberty, God's word, and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. So not just coming to an initial belief, but a belief that is put into action and a lifelong process through obedience and commitment and dedication now, let me say this also about your faith. You need to know what you believe, and you need to know why you believe it. Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is within you with meekness and fear. We need to know what we believe. A whole lot of people are out there in the denominational world they don't really know a whole lot about what they believe. They believe, they may give you a few basics, but well, yeah, why do you believe that? Now, they'd come up short at that particular point. You, they, draw, they, they draw a blank trying to explain what, and they might have to finally come away and say, well, that's what our church says. You need to know what you believe, and you need to know why you believe it as well. 
why you believe it. And so Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, whatever things were written before, what is he referring to? The scriptures? Specifically written, referring to the Old Testament scriptures, but the principle is to the New Testament scriptures as well. Whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And then 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 11, now these things happened to them, again referring to some Old Testament characters, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the, end of the, the ends of the ages have come. What does he mean upon whom the ends of the ages have come? We're living in the final dispensation of spiritual history or biblical history. There was the patriarchal age when God spoke directly to the heads of the families. There was the Mosaic age in which most of the Old Testament scriptures were written. God gave the spiritual law to Israel through Moses and we live in the Christian age. The fulfillment, the ultimate fulfillment of those first two historic ages from the spiritual perspective. So they were written for our admonition. God had the scriptures written down for our instruction, for our teaching, for our encouragement, for our direction. But you need to learn those scriptures. And I'm not saying you need to learn every single verse of Scripture and be able to quote it verbatim. That's not what I'm talking about. But you need to learn God's Word sufficient to the point that you understand what you believe and why you believe it and that you can even, now you may have to say to somebody who asks you, you know, let me, let me go to the Scriptures and, and tell you exactly where and what that says. But you know how to do that. You need to be able to tell people, I believe this because this is what God's Word teaches. And I can show you that it teaches exactly that. We need to know what we believe and why we believe it. God has given us His Word to guide us, to instruct us, to equip us once his word has led us to salvation. Nobody can study God's word for you. Only you can do that. Now again, you might have to depend upon somebody to teach it to you, but you still have to be that student. You still have to be the learner in that equation. Nobody can study God's word for you. Your faith depends on you. You can't blame God if you don't have faith. You can't blame God if you never develop saving faith, responding to the gospel in obedience by being baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins so you can be saved through him. You can't blame God if you don't live faithfully once you've learned about Jesus as your savior. Your faith depends on you. If you need to respond to the gospel this evening through your repentance and baptism for remission of your sins, we encourage you to take that step. If you've done that, but you have strayed, you have become weak, you know, and that happens sometimes, you can come back to God with all of your heart in repentance again and praying to him through Jesus Christ for forgiveness and God's waiting to forgive. 
He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, 2 Peter 3 and verse 9. If you need to come, won't you come right now as we stand together and sing.